had caused this week past to recount, as painful as it was, to recount the worst sermon I've ever preached uh, with someone I had met. Um, it wasn't here, you'll be surprised to hear that, given some of the sermons you've heard me preach, but uh, it wasn't here. I was young, uh, I'd been asked to go to a church that I really had a great deal of respect for, for a prayer meeting and to speak at that, and I tried to do that, and I was able to do that, and it just it didn't, it didn't work. And I, as I was re- recalling this and recounting this to this person I was meeting with, I summed it up by saying I just bit off more than I was able to chew. And then I went home and opened up the passage for this evening, and I thought, well, I think I may have bitten off more than I can chew. Again, it's a great passage from Scripture, and I trust we will be encouraged just by reading it together, even if, uh, if my words do it very little justice in a few moments' time. It would be helpful to have the passage before you. We're going to read the whole chapter together, so it's a sizable passage, a sizable chapter of God's Word. It's Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah chapter 40. There are some very familiar verses in here, but we're going to read the whole chapter together. If you're reading uh, in one of the pew Bibles that we've brought through, there are a collection at the front if you would like to avail yourself of one. If you're reading from one of them, it's page 723. So, Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 1. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice of one calling, in the desert prepare the way for the Lord, make straight in the wilderness a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low, the rough ground shall become level the rugged places a plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all mankind together will see it, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry out, and I said, what shall I cry? All men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God stands forever. You who bring good tidings to Zion, Go up on a high mountain. 
you who bring good tidings to Jerusalem. Lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up. Do not be afraid, say. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power and his arm rules for him. See, his reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? Or with the breadth of his hand marked off the heavens? Who has held the dust of the earth in a basket? Or weighed the mountains on the scales and the hills in a balance? Who has understood the mind of the Lord or instructed him as his counselor? Whom did the Lord consult to enlighten him? And who taught him the right way? Who was it that taught him knowledge or showed him the path of understanding? Surely the nations are like a drop in a bucket. They are regarded as dust on the scales. He weighs the islands as though they were fine dust. Lebanon is not sufficient for altar fires, nor its animals enough for burnt offerings. Before him, all the nations are as nothing. They are regarded by him as worthless and less than nothing. To whom then will you compare God? What image will you compare him to? As for an idol, a craftsman casts it, and a goldsmith overlays it with gold and fashions silver chains for it. A man too poor to present such an offering selects wood that will not rot. He looks for a skilled craftsman to set up an idol that will not topple. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told to you from the beginning? Have you not understood since the earth was founded? He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth and its people are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy and spreads them out like a tent to live in. He brings princes to naught and reduces the rulers of this world to nothing. No sooner are they planted, no sooner are they sown, no sooner do they take root in the ground than he blows on them and they wither and a whirlwind sweeps them away like chaff. To whom will you compare me? Or who is my equal, says the Holy One? Lift your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls them each by name. Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and complain, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, my cause is disregarded by my God? Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, 
and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Amen. Amen. So Isaiah chapter 40, we, we don't know exactly when these words were first written or spoken by the prophet Isaiah, but we have a rough time frame, time zone. It's between the falling of one great empire and the rising of another. So as one great empire, the empire of Assyria, begins to die as its flame begins to flicker, as it begins to peter out, another great empire begins to rise and to take its place, the empire or the kingdom of Babylon. Now, Assyria has attacked and conquered the northern kingdom of Israel. So, this is in the time of the divided kingdom, Israel to the north, Judah to the south. And Isaiah speaks to Judah to warn them that God will discipline them. They haven't learned their lesson as they look to their northern brothers. They are still welcoming into their households these false gods, these godless ways, these false views of the world. They are still living unhealthy and unholy lives. And so much of Isaiah is a warning to the people of God to repent, to, to, to change their lives, lest they be disciplined by their gods. But as we come to Isaiah chapter 40, Isaiah looks beyond the exile of God's people. So, God will use Babylon as a tool with which to discipline His people, with which to rebuke them. They will come against Judah, against Jerusalem. They will be victorious. They will take the brightest and the best from Jerusalem back to Babylon. There will be this period of exile. Isaiah can see that, but he can also see beyond it to the time that God will call his people home. And Isaiah chapter 40 is a word which is given to the people of God for that time, for that period, as they prepare to leave Babylon behind and to head back home. And so we ought to ask ourselves the question, what do they need? What do the people of God need as they prepare to leave Babylon and to head back home to Judah, to head back home to Jerusalem. 
you might think, well, maybe they need, you know, supplies, backpacks filled with goods for the journey to help them along the road, or maybe they need a road map in case they've forgotten the way, or maybe they need a wee book of uh, games to keep the children happy in the back. I spy only takes you so far. But Isaiah recognizes that what they need above everything else is a vision of God who their God is. That's what they need to know. That's what they have to have at the forefront of their minds and their hearts as they prepare for this journey. And so he speaks a word of hope, a word of comfort to the people of God that they will have for when the time comes. A long reading, a fairly long introduction Uh, But I have one aim this evening, one aim and two points. My aim is found in verse 9. You who bring good tidings to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good tidings to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up, do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. So that's my aim this evening, to say to you, to us, here is our God. Behold our God. And two points with which to do that. The first point is this, our God is the God who is great. Our God is the God who is great. We have no real concept of greatness, I think, in the society, in the world in which we live, because we have no real concept of God. And so because we've got no real concept of God in this society, we kind of drag the language that is for God down to our own level. And I am as guilty as anyone of this, uh, you know, what they used to say, if you point the finger at someone else, you've got three or four pointing back at you. Well, I am, if you've emailed me ever in your life or sent me a text message, uh, you will probably have heard me at some point say, great. You're coming to the meeting tonight, that's great. You're feeling better, great. I'm really pleased uh, to hear that. Thanks for telling me. How was my holiday? It was great. Thanks very much. Everything's great. And when everything's great, nothing is great. Only God is truly great. If you're younger than myself, of which there are one seated, (laughs) Uh, if you're younger than, no, there's two, sorry, Deborah. (laughs) That could have made for an awkward journey home. Uh, If you're younger than myself, then it might be awesome. Everything's awesome there. Coffee's awesome. Uh, Pizza's awesome. How's the conference? It was awesome. And if everything's awesome, nothing's awesome. Only God is truly worthy of our awe. And only God is truly great. He is the God who 
is great. For that, Isaiah leaves us in absolutely no doubt whatsoever. Compare him with great people. There are six all men or all people. All people are like grass. Even the wisest and the strongest, the biggest, the brightest, and the best, the heroes and the heroines, they are like grass before him. Here today and in the brown bin with the wise tomorrow, all their glory, we could put glory in inverted commas there, couldn't we? Verse 6, all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God stands forever. When all other voices fall silent, as they will in the end, long after the promises of people become null and void. God's Word stands and speaks. God's Word is true and living and active. Compare Him not only to great people, but to great kingdoms and empires. So, we might say that great kings and queens and emperors are like grass before Him, or like the flowers of the field in time, their petals, as glorious and as beautiful as they look, with all of their splendor, they fall off one by one, and eventually they wither and die like everyone else. But that's true not just of the great kings and queens and emperors, that's true of the great kingdoms, the great realms. They themselves are as nothing before Him. Verse 17, before Him all the nations are as nothing. Every empire ends, every kingdom falls in the end, with the exception of the kingdom of Christ Jesus, the King who lives forever and rules forever. All the others, even the greatest, come to an end. Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Rome, or many more we could add to that list. They might bruise and buffet the people of God for a time, but it's only for a time. Before Him, they are as nothing. And in the short time that they have to trouble and to try and to test the people of God, we still have nothing to fear because our suffering gives us the opportunity to share in a deeper level of fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ, who suffered for us. Our suffering gives us the opportunity, as we've discovered through our studies in the book of James, to grow and to mature and to deepen and to develop that we might not be lacking anything in our service of God. Yes, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. Compare Him to the false gods and worldviews of these empires and kingdoms. 
at the series of rhetorical questions, verses 12 to 14. 12, 13, 14, three verses, five questions. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, or with the breadth of his hand marked off the heavens? Who has held the dust of the earth in a basket, or weighed the mountains on the scales and the hills in a balance? Answer, no one, no one but him. His size and his strength, that's the first two verses, isn't it? Then his knowledge and his wisdom. Verse 13, who has understood the mind of the Lord or instructed him as his counselor? Whom did the Lord consult to enlighten him? And who taught him the right way? Who was it that taught him knowledge or showed him the path of understanding? These three verses, these five questions make clear that God has no rival. All of these false gods and all of these temporal kingdoms, you know, forged and fashioned and covered in gold and then tied to the ground so that they wouldn't fall over. There's no rival for God, for the true and living God. These three verses, these five questions are like a flurry, a combination that a boxer puts together that no rival could offer any real defense against. Who would step into a ring to dare to challenge this God? They would be on the canvas before they knew it. He is greater than the greatest men and women he is greater than the greatest kingdoms of men and women. He is greater than all of the false gods and all of the false worldviews that men and women might create and worship. He is the everlasting, the great, and the glorious God. To whom will you compare me? Or who is my equal, says the Holy One? Lift your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls them each by name. Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. God is great. But why should we receive that as great news? Comfort my people. Why should we be comforted by the news that God is great? When Isaiah first encountered the greatness of God in chapter 6, he wasn't comforted, was he? He was terrified. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. He saw the greatness of God and he assumed that he was to be crushed because he was unworthy, he was unclean. But as soon as he found the greatness of God, he came to discover and to experience the grace of God. As a fire from the altar touched 
his lips, he was cleansed and made ready to speak on behalf of this God. So, second point and final point, the God who is great is the God of grace. You might say point one, the God of greatness. Point two, the God of grace. Isaiah 40 compares people to grass and to grasshoppers. We have many, I dare say we do have grasshoppers in this country, we don't have many. But we have wee beasties that live in the grass in our gardens, don't we? What do you make of those wee beasties? I don't mind them when they're out there in the grass doing whatever they do. But if they come into the house close to me, they'll be crushed and flushed uh, in a second. And so maybe we wouldn't be comforted to hear that we are as grass and grasshoppers in the presence of this great God, tiny temporal things. We don't love the grass in our gardens. We don't love the beasties that inhabit the grass in our gardens. You might think that God would find some small pleasure in us, but keep us at arm's length. We are insignificant. We are unclean. What is man that you are mindful of him? And yet he has taken to himself a people. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. He has taken to himself a people. He has loved them. He has been faithful to them. He has allowed them to carry his name. What, what does that speak of? That speaks of the relationship of a father to his children, doesn't it? Children bear the name of their father. And how the people of God must have been comforted when this word came to them in due season. Surrounded by a culture that was full of pride, full of false gods, full, we might say, of fake news or at least fake truths, they must have been encouraged to have been reminded that one day all of the so-called wisdom of Babylon that seemed so powerful and so prevalent everywhere that they looked, everything that they heard, resounded with this wisdom of Babylon. One day it would come to an end. It would be nothing but a distant memory. All of the voices which seemed so loud and so strong, they would all fall silent. But the words of their God, the true and living God, would still stand strong. And so here we are today. Ha have you heard much of the news coming out of the empire of Babylon in recent days? you heard about its wisdom or its beauty? Does that encourage you, I wonder? You hear nothing much of Babylon now, maybe in the history books, the Hanging Gardens. But here we are, all these thousands of years later, huddled as it were, gathered around the Word of God, expecting to meet with God through His Word be challenged, to be changed, to be encouraged, to be comforted. The Word of God is still true, living, 
powerful than that. And it ought to encourage us. We read the news, or we watch the news, or we listen to the news, or we just speak to people, and we find ourselves thinking, the world is going mad. Well, be that as it may, all of these voices which are speaking false things so loudly, so confidently, so brashly, all of these voices will fall silent. The godless noise will fall silent. But the Word of God, the Word of our God, will stand. We ought to be grieved for those clinging to false gods, to false truths. Think of the Apostle Paul as he walked through Athens. He was grieved by the panoply of uh, false gods that he saw as he traveled. We ought to be grieved, but we also ought to be encouraged by a proper perspective that this is only for a time. God will prevail. The truth will win out in the end. The voice of truth, the voice of God will remain. The Word of our God stands forever. We see in verse 10 the imagery of the, the warrior king returning with his victorious army, the roads being prepared as he, as he readies himself to travel back to his home territory. And then it changes. Do you see that? Verse 10 to verse 11, the warrior king becomes a shepherd. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms, and he carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. This incomparable strength and power and greatness and glory is no longer to be feared. It has become to us a wall of love that surrounds us and that keeps us safe. It shields us from all that would harm us and lets only that which will help us in. It might not seem like that at times. We all know that. We don't see what he sees. We don't understand what he understands. We don't have his perspective. But that which is allowed in will serve us. It will serve, as we've said already, to deepen our fellowship with Christ Jesus and to cause us to mature and to grow and to deepen in our walk with the Lord. So we have this powerful, glorious, great wall of love around us as God, the Good Shepherd, tends and leads His sheep onwards. He guards us, He guides us, He leads us, He protects us, He provides for us. And why? Because of Jesus. We read Isaiah 40 knowing that Isaiah 53 is about to come, don't we? 
He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon Him, and by His wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each one of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on Him the iniquity of us all. Jesus, the Good Shepherd, laid down His life for the sheep. And now the greatness of God is no longer to be feared. They're not to be scared of the greatness of God. Quite the opposite. The greatness of God is to give us peace and freedom from fear. Because He is with us and He is for us. We are forgiven. We are His children. We are safe in Christ. Sometimes we forget. Sometimes we don't see what He sees. Sometimes we don't understand what He understands. Sometimes we do get scared. Sometimes we need reminded of His greatness and of the greatness of His love and grace, which is ours, eternally ours, in Jesus. And God knew that His people all those years ago would need a word of comfort. Sometimes we need a word of comfort. We need to be reminded of the greatness and the love of our God as He shepherds us faithfully home. We need to be reminded of who He is and why we have nothing to fear. Old Testament scholar or coming to a close now, but I want to to quote this. Old Testament scholar Barry Webb says this. He says, He will not leave them where they are. He will bring them home. The processional way through the wilderness was not just for the Lord, but the way for His people too, for He is going to take them with Him. He will tend, gather, carry and lead them as He brings them to Zion like a shepherd caring for His flock. What have we to fear if God, this God, is with us? This great God is for us. If we can say that, then nothing can stand against us. And so we have nothing to fear. The quote goes on, he will tend, gather, carry, and lead them as he brings them to Zion like a shepherd caring for his flock. And as the watching world looks on, it will learn what kind of God he is. His glory, verse 5, will be revealed, and all humanity will see it. The Lord, he says, is a missionary God. What he does for his own, he does not for their sake alone but that all may come to know Him. And so we are clay pots, as Edwin reminded us this morning, or as the Lord reminded us through Edwin this morning. We are jars of clay, but we need not be afraid as we look to the incomparable greatness of our God, His power and His wisdom 
this great God of grace who loves us and who has redeemed us and who will be faithful to shepherd us safely home. We need not be afraid. We may be very fragile, very frail. We may have one or two cracks. We need not fear. Because this great God is our great God. We are fragile jars of clay, but we ought to remember the treasure that we have within. As ordinary as we are, we carry this extraordinary message of the grace of God that all can come to know Him through repentance and faith in Christ. And so, I hope that as we look to this chapter, we are comforted, we are encouraged, we are reminded to find our rest and our strength and our hope in Him again. This great God is our great God because of Jesus. And so we honor Him together as we stand to sing 